Romans chapter 1, I think it is. Let's go over to Romans chapter 1. Let's look at verse 13 through verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, Paul's talking here, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered unto now. Notice he says, I want to get to you. I want to preach to you. I want to teach you. I want to help you. I want to share some things with you that the Lord's put in my life. But I've been hindered. In just a moment, you'll see how he was hindered. That I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Then notice what he says. I am a debtor. Everybody say debtor. Am I at the Methodist church or am I at family? Everybody say debtor. Thank you. Thank you. Some of you know what that word means. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jews first and also for the Greek. The Apostle Paul is writing this. They tell us he wrote this about 57, 58 A.D., it's considered Paul's masterpiece letter in the, in the book of Romans. is all about the plan of salvation, Christian living, the gift of righteousness. If you haven't read the book of Romans lately, I encourage you to read it. It's a fascinating book. Read it in several different translations because it's just a fascinating book. And uh, he says, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, I tried to come to you, but I've been hindered. Now, let me, let me tell you how he got hindered. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Turn over to Acts chapter 17, verse number 1. Paul, this is Paul again. He says, Now when they passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So Paul preaches in Thessalonica, and he, gets, he has some good results. People get saved, but it's not overwhelming. And here's the reason why. Verse 4 and 5. And some of them were persuaded. Some of the people in Thessalonica were persuaded. They accepted Christ. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Verse 5. But the Jews were not persuaded. Becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set the whole city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, that's not Jason Dow, thank God, and sought to bring them out to all the people. So due to the trouble that Paul experienced in Thessalonica, they get him out of there. And we pick it up in verse 10. Look at Acts 17, verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Verse 11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Verse 12, therefore many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. Verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica, the troublemakers where he was before, they hear that the People in Berea received the word of God, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. So all of a sudden, Paul preaches at Thessalonica. He has some pretty good results, but resistance comes. 
So they get him out of the city. And then they take him to Berea. And he has some pretty good results. But then resistance comes. So they get him out of the city. Look at verse 14. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens. And receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Look, Look at verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. All right, so let me set it up here for you. He's preaching at Thessalonica. He has a few people say, but resistance comes against the message. They get him out of the city. He goes to Berea. He gets some people saved. Pretty good response. But the people from Thessalonica, the troublemakers, come to Berea and they run Paul out of the city. So Paul goes to Athens. While he's in Athens, we know Athens is is, is today, Athens, Greece. While he's at Athens, he sees the whole city is given over to idols. And we pick it up in Acts chapter 17, verse number 17. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, this is at Athens, with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Verse 18, then certain... Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And then in the next few verses, if you were to continue to read, in the next few verses you will find that Paul preached a fantastic sermon that you've heard it preached, if you've been around church world at all, you've heard it preached many times, but it's called the the Sermon on Mars Hill. Amanda and I have been to Mars Hill in Athens. We were there where Paul preached. And it's a beautiful hill, and people would just gather around the hillside to hear people proclaim wisdom or proclaim truth or to tell some new thing. And Paul, when it was his time, he took his opportunity to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pick it up in verse number uh, 32, and it says this of Acts 17. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. When he finished preaching in Athens, Paul then goes to Corinth. We pick it up in Acts chapter 18. Corinth is where we read the the church that he established in Corinth in Acts chapter 18 is the same church that he writes the letters 1st and 2nd Corinthians to. How many have ever read the 1st and 2nd Corinthians in the Bible? All right. He left Athens, he goes to Corinth, and he establishes a church. He later, years later now, after the church in Corinth has been established, years later, he writes them a letter, the church at Corinth. And this is what he says to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, when I came to you, when I left Athens, and when I came straight to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Why was He? What do you mean weakness? He just got run out of three cities. People were, they were chasing Him from one city to another city. They were out to get Him. They were wanting to kill Him. So He said, when I finally got to you, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. 
and my speech and my preaching, now notice this, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The Apostle Paul says, listen, when I finally got to you, I made a tactical shift in the way I did ministry. He says, in Thessalonica, I was trying to reason with them. And they run me out. I had a few converts, but nothing much. He said, when I got to Berea, I was trying to reason with them. Had a few converts, but nothing much. When I got to Athens, I tried to reason with them. I didn't get anybody saved. Hardly nobody got saved. He said, but I changed. When I came to Corinth, I decided, stop this wisdom of men. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel. And notice what it says. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I like it in the New Living Translation. He says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Paul goes from trying to reason people into the faith to boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you are trying to win your relatives to the Lord. Some of you are trying to win your peers to the Lord. Some of you are trying to win your co-workers to the Lord. You're trying to find an angle. You're trying to find an angle that will get their attention. You're trying to say something that will spark their interest. And I'm going to tell you, you can, you, can, you can chop that tree all day long. And Paul says, I've stopped doing that. He says, all I'm going to do now is just tell the story of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for therein is the power of God unto salvation. Everybody with me? See, and then he says this, Romans chapter 1, verse 13, he says this, I do not, Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. And then he said something that, honestly, I've read this, oh, I know, a thousand times. But I'd never thought about it. How many times, have you ever read the Bible and all of a sudden one day when you're reading it, it seems like a, a verse comes off the page and slaps you in the face? Anybody ever been slapped by the Bible before? And I was reading it and all of a sudden, I've read it a thousand times. It's mean nothing to me. It never dawned on me. And then all of a sudden I read that next verse. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered unto now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Next sentence, I am a debtor. I am a de- Paul says, I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians. Now, here's a man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Here's a man that was caught up into heaven and heard things not lawful for men to utter. Here's a man that established churches and is responsible for all of us coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us would come to have come to faith if we hadn't heard what Jesus did and what Paul had said. All of us are the recipients of Paul's knowledge and wisdom and his revelation. But yet Paul says, I'm a debtor. I am a debtor. 
both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. You know, here in America, we, we uh, let's just be honest, we're pretty prideful people. In fact, I hear people say this all the time, well, you deserve this, you deserve this. You de- these, these, these presidential candidates, they're always trying to get people, well, you deserve this. You de- Let me tell you, we don't deserve anything. If you think you deserve something, if you think you really, your works and your power and your greatness has caused you to be able to have something great, if you think that your pride has gotten a hold of you and you don't realize it, we don't deserve anything but punishment for the way we've lived. But Jesus Christ in His great mercy and grace spared us. We are debtors. We are not kings looking down on everybody else. We are debtors to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, but he said, I'm a debtor. I am a debtor. And I'm a debtor. And you are a debtor. And God, let us not forget that we are debtors to the goodness of people and the love of Jesus Christ. We are debtors. I didn't really understand that. I'd never thought about that verse. I didn't, I didn't, it didn't, it didn't make, it didn't dawn on me. The impact of it didn't settle in on me until recently I was preaching a crusade with uh, a conference with Christopher Ollum. And uh, Christopher has been here at Family Worship Center several years back. Christopher was raised a Muslim, raised in Pakistan, raised a Muslim, born a Muslim, raised a Muslim, good Muslim, went to military uh, in Pakistan, was in the military. And then after he got out of the military, uh, he uh, got strung out on drugs and alcohol. And he said, my life was a mess. And he said, all of a sudden, one day I walked out of my apartment and I saw a man on the street passing out papers. And he said, I went up to him and asked him, what are you doing? And he said, the man gave me what I found to be a Christian track, a gospel track. And he said, the man told me about Jesus Christ. And he said, here I was a mess, and everything that I tried in Islam was not working for me. And I saw the results of it. So he said, the man asked me if I wanted to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he said, I accepted. I prayed with that man on the street. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he said, amazingly, a radical transformation started taking place in my life. He said, from then, I went and found me a Bible. And I started reading the Bible. And I discovered in the Bible that you were supposed to take communion. Holy communion. So I went to to the Christian church that I found, which was like a, a, a Lutheran church in Pakistan. He said, I went to that church and I said, I would like to partake. Do y'all serve communion? They said, yes. He said, well, I'd like to partake of communion. And they said, you cannot partake of communion. He said, why can't I partake of communion? He said, because you haven't been baptized. You've got to be baptized. He says, well, I haven't read that part yet. Where's that at? And they told him, so he read about it. He, he came back and he said, well, okay, uh, I want to go get baptized. Let's go down to the ocean and be baptized. And he said, the, the priest said to him, no, we can't do that. He said, why? Why can't you do that? He said, because if we baptize you a Muslim, 
the Muslims in the village will come and kill you. And then they'll come and kill me and kill my family. And they'll burn our church down. So we don't baptize Muslims. And he said, well, okay, then, then can I take communion since you won't do it? And they said, no, you can't take communion. So he, he feels a, apart from the body of Christ. He goes to church every Sunday and he sits in the back and he's not allowed to partake communion because he's a Muslim. He said months went by. He said, I'm reading my Bible and I can't find anybody to serve me communion and I can't find anybody who will baptize me. And he said, finally, one day, I come in contact with a missionary, a Christian missionary by the name of Jim Turner. And Jim Turner heard my story. He saw my life and he'd see, he was watching what Jesus was doing in my life. And he said, I will baptize you. And Christopher said, Jim, if you baptize me, you might get killed. He said, well, I don't care. I, I give my life to Christ years ago. I'm dead. I, I'm, I, I'm crucified with Christ already. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And he said within a few weeks, Jim Turner took him down to the ocean and he baptized him. Christopher Alam, a few months later, moved to Sweden. And when he... A few months after that, after he tried to call back and contact Jim Turner, he was told by Jim Turner's family that Jim Turner was captured by Muslims and was assassinated for baptizing Christopher Allam uh, in the ocean that day. Christopher Allam told me, he said, Eddie, I'm a debtor. I owe my faith to Jim Turner. I'm a debtor. Last year, 800,000 people accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through the ministry of Christopher Allam as he did crusades around the world. And I said, Christopher, you're getting older. Why do you crisscross the globe like you do so much? So much. You're going all the time. He said, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. Amanda and I, several years ago, sat at lunch table it was Amanda and I, Reinhard Bonnke, and his assistant. Anybody ever heard of Reinhard Bonnke? Probably preached to more than any man on the face of the globe, Reinhard Bonnke. Has crusades of over a million in their crusades. And we sat at dinner table, and I said, tell me some stories. Just tell me the stories. And he'd begin telling stories of how they'd bring dead people to his crusades, had no life in them, and he'd preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And people just would come up raise up. He'd, people who hadn't walked since birth all of a sudden are walking. People who can't see, people who can't hear are suddenly healed just hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, you didn't pray for them. You didn't lay hands on them. You didn't have a healing class. You he said, no, 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 no. And if you knew anything about Reinhard Bonnke, he, he, he gets excited. He said, we just preach the gospel. He says, he says, Pastor, it's the gospel. He says, it's the gospel. I said to Terry Law, Terry Law, my dear friend, he'd come back from Russia and tell how people would get healed and delivered and set free, the lame walking, and the blind eyes open, cancers falling off people. I said, how did you do it? Did you have healing classes? Did, what, did you, what, what did you do? He said, I would just tell them to be healed. He says, you have to understand something about people under communists. Communism, they understand how to submit to authority. 
He says people in America will never be healed until they learn to understand how to submit to authority. You tell people in America to be healed and they'll want to argue with you about it. He said, I tell people in Russia, be healed. And they said, okay. And then they get healed. I said, well, what, did you preach on healing? He said, no, I didn't preach on healing. I said, what did you do? He said, I just preached the gospel. I just tell the story. If you want to really make an impact on lost friends and relatives, you don't have to come up with an angle. You don't have to try to figure it out. You don't have to try to impress them with your wisdom. Just tell them the story. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Just telling the story. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? It's real simple. You know it. We, we've gotten so smart in the church world that we, we, we spend all of our time trying to preach stuff and angles and to meet this need and to meet that need. And that's wonderful and that's great. And we need that from time to time. But we don't ever need to forget the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is simply this. The gospel is the story of Christ, virgin birth. Just tell the story. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, was born of a virgin. It's Christ's virgin birth. What is the gospel? The gospel is the story of Christ's sinless life. His sinless life. What is the gospel? The gospel is the story of the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the gospel. You said, that's, that's too simple. That's why it's so important to tell it, because it's the gospel. And you say, well, that don't, that's not, that's not going to interest people. Listen to what the Lord said. Turn with me real quickly over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He goes on to say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise, he said? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of this message, preached to save those who will believe. There's just something about the gospel. It's something spectacular about just this simple story. A man was born of a virgin, a supernatural birth. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for my sins. He was placed in a borrowed tomb, 
And he was resurrected on the third day and he overcome death, hell, and the grave. And he, all he says is all you have to do is embrace that story. Believe in me and you will have life eternal. And if you'll tell that story, the anointing of God and the conviction of God and the healing power of God and the presence of God will accompany the story. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to come up with an angle. You don't have to come up with a story that tickle their ears. All you and I are required to do is tell the gospel story and let the power that's contained in that story work itself out in people's lives. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. And you say, well, I don't have taken a class on witnessing. But you know what happened to you. You know how when you heard the story and you dared to believe it for just a second and you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, how the power of God radically changed your life and my life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Therefore, I am a debtor. I am a debtor. My grandpa, I am a debtor to my grandparents. My grandparents shared the gospel with me. The most my granddad ever got paid for pastoring was $42 a week. They raised my mom in a storefront building. They pulled a curtain and they lived behind the curtain and they had church in the front of the curtain. Back in a day when Pentecostal, charismatic, in, interdenominational people were not popular. There were no world outreaches. There was no experienced communities. There were no family worship centers. There were none of those. We were spit on. We were made fun of. We were the people on the other side of the tracks. But my grandparents remained faithful to the Word of God. And they poured the Word of God into my life. And that night, on a Tuesday night, in a revival meeting when I was 10 years of age, I heard a young evangelist just preach the gospel about Jesus died for you. And Jesus loves you. And I was on the back row of our little church, and I went forward, and I pushed my grandmother over who was kneeling, praying on the front row. And I knelt beside her and she led me in the sinner's prayer and I give my heart to Jesus Christ. I'm a debtor. There's some days I want to quit. I know some of you, this has been a terrible year. I know it's tough. I know, I know you've wanted to throw in the towel. I know you've wanted to give up. I, wanted, I know your faith has been tested. I know you've questioned some things you've learned theologically and biblically. I know maybe some things haven't worked out for you this year, the way you've prayed or way you've believed. I know you might have watched other people getting blessed and you're not getting blessed. Maybe that job hasn't opened up for you. Maybe that opportunity hadn't been made available for you. And you've been praying and you've done everything you wanted, you needed to do according to the Word of God. And things hadn't fallen in place. And you at times want to just give up, just quit, stop going to church, stop giving in to this thing. But listen, you can't quit. You can't quit. Why? Because you're a debtor. I've wanted to quit. I've worked all my life, built this with the help of a good team and you. We've built this church up to, to bigger than it ever was before. And then COVID hit and, and it's gone back down and now trying to talk people into coming back to church. I've wanted to quit. I say, I, I'm too old for this stuff. I don't want to do this no more. But I can't quit because I'm a debtor. I owe something. I live to pay it off. 
Yes, it gets frustrating. Yes, work serving the Lord sometimes gets tough. You say, well, I know we're faith people. I know we're faith people. We're never supposed to have a negative thing out of our mouth. Put that on the side first. Sometimes it gets tough. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes the joy just goes out the back door and the peace leaves you. And sometimes you just got to gut your way through it. But you can't quit because you're a debtor. Somebody poured into your life. Somebody paid a price to sacrifice the gospel to get to you. Somebody gave money so that you could go to a Sunday school class to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Somebody served in a vacation Bible school that you went to and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Somebody gave money so you could go to a church to hear the gospel preached and you responded and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Somebody gave money so that a TV program could be on, a preacher, and you could hear it or a radio program. Listen, we're all debtors. We're debtors and we can't quit. We can't quit. We cannot quit because we're debtors to live out our faith for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. Paul says, I'm a debtor. Both to the wise and the unwise. Both to the the, the barbarians and to the Gentiles and to the Jews. I'm a debtor. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's foolishness to some, but it's the power of God unto salvation. Amen.